Hello, and welcome to the Thriving After Surviving podcast. My name is Kevin Murphy. I'm an attorney and an author of the book, Surviving Cancer, After Surviving Cancer. My book is about what cancer does to relationships and families. I've had two major traumas in my life. I wrote the book many years after the first one, a trauma I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. I was married in late 1983. In late 1985, lumps appeared in my wife's neck and they grew. She had surgery and we were told they were benign. We celebrated that night when we got the great news. We were scared to death and and when we got that news, the relief was like air escaping rapidly from a balloon. What we did not know was that the pathologist who supposedly looked at the tumors and slides, made a huge error. They were not benign. It was cancer. And we didn't find out she had cancer until the lumps returned about six or six and a half months later. And when we learned she had cancer, we were four and a half months pregnant with our first child. And then the worst news of all came. There were two procedures they had to occur, that they had to do in order to stage the disease. For those of you who might be lucky enough not to know what staging means, there are four stages of Hodgkin's disease. And I believe most uh, cancers are staged this way. I think there may be one or two like blood cancers or myeloma that don't stage one, two, three, and four. But that's how uh, they stage cancers. Stage one is the best because it means you caught it early. Four is the worst because it means the cancer has metastasized to a different part of your body. We learned two weeks after she was diagnosed that the cancer was already on the move to the other side of her neck and underneath her arm. But they had to do two procedures to tell us how far advanced the cancer was. Like I said, they already knew it was stage two, but the procedures would tell us if it was stage three or stage four. After hearing she could risk her life if she did not uh, do the staging procedures and start treatment, she opted to save the child and take the chance. So we waited without knowing. Those four and a half months I don't have the words to describe how brutal they were. It was supposed to be joyful. This was our first child. Uh, I was so excited to be a father. And that joy was taken to us like, it was as if a thief came in the night and robbed that joy of us. The rest of that story is in my book. My goals for that book was to try to stem the divorce rate among cancer couples, which is much higher than you may know, and to teach cancer patients that it takes work to not only survive the cancer, but to thrive after the cancer treatments are over. Why? Because the emotional scars linger, and the fear and anxiety will eat you up if you don't have the tools and the skills to move away, and I mean far away, from that negativity 
so you can walk on a new road to a new life uh, without that baggage. I wrote about the fact that I didn't do any of those things because of two things. Number one, I just didn't know where that road was. I didn't have anybody to guide me. And the second was, even if I would have been shown the road, and in fact, in many ways I was, I had too much pride. Men have a hard time accepting help. I've learned that. I learned it the hard way. So after the book was finished, and after I gave the manuscript to a few people in the cancer community, I started to hear the same comment over and over again. Kevin, this book shouldn't be just about people diagnosed with cancer. And in fact, some famous people told me that. Dick Vitale, when he read the manuscript, told me that. And the famous Dr. Bernie Siegel, the man who wrote Love, Medicine, and Miracles. Uh, a man who changed uh, the way we look at treating cancer, bringing in music, uh, family, uh, artwork, uh, which, you know, if you go into children's hospital right, right now, uh, anywhere around the United States, you'll see all of that when you're walking down the hallways, beautiful colors, wonderful sounds, great pictures. Dr. Bernie Siegel did that. I was told it would be helpful for a whole hosts of disease and trauma, like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, immune disorders, the stress of aging parents, children with illnesses, auto accidents, and even sexual trauma. Uh, I'm familiar with sexual trauma from my legal practice at Murphy, Landon, and Jones because we've represented too many sexual assault uh, survivors and we fought for them. And I saw what that act did to them, how it scarred them, and how without help they were going to go down very dark roads. So when, the, you know, when Bernie Siegel, when he read the transcript, he uh, decided that he was gonna write the forward to my book. It was kind of funny. I didn't have any say in that, but I was thrilled I mean, this, this marvelous man who wrote so many great books said that he would write the foreword to my book and he would let me put his name on the cover of the book, which, you know, for a guy that had never written a book before, only to have him, you know, on the cover of the book, that was going to help me get a publisher. But he made me promise something. In exchange for writing the foreword and putting his name on the book, I had to take the message of my book and preach it from the mountaintops. Those were her word, his words. Preach it from the mountaintops. And again, he reiterated to me, it's not just about cancer, Kevin. It's about the emotional scars of disease and, and trauma. So I have to thank Dr. Bernie Siegel for giving me the impetus to do this, to keep it going, and to try to inject a whole, whole lot of hope into people with this podcast. And here I am, thanks to the Phyllis Foundation, Inc., 
for being the first sponsor of this podcast and for putting me on the road to speaking engagements. I also want to thank my friends and clients who have contributed to the Phyllis Foundation to get me started on this. I can't thank you enough. The Phyllis Foundation is a 501c3 foundation that I started years ago to help spread this message, first through the book and now through this podcast. I'll talk more about that in a bit. Thriving after surviving is the goal. And on this podcast, we're going to discuss how you do just that, thrive and hopefully live life large to the fullest after you've gone through cancer treatments or sexual trauma or an auto accident, all of the above. We're going to have guests to discuss coping skills to help you learn how to deal with the aftermath, tips on how to go from not just simply surviving or just hanging on to go to thriving. One of the biggest surprises that I have had, uh, and I can't tell you how big of a surprise it was for me, is when I started to go around the country speaking uh, at, at cancer fundraisers, cancer organizations, um, I have so many survivors come up to me and say to me, you know, Kevin, cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I couldn't believe that because I've seen what those treatments can do to people, how they suffer. I saw it firsthand, not only with my, my former spouse, but I saw it with my mother. Uh, I saw it twice with my mother. But I listened, and what they said to me was that it put them on a whole new road, that every day became precious, that they didn't put things out in the future. They were going to see friends now. They were going to change jobs now. Uh, not when I save a little bit more money or you know get the kids a couple of more years into high school or college. Because they realized that they didn't have a written contract with God. They didn't have 80 or 90 years written down on a piece of paper. And so it fired them up to live life the way they wanted to live it. And again, it, over and over again, I heard that. And once again, uh, that's one of the incentives for this podcast. To take what has happened to you and get not only get you over it emotionally, uh, but to put you in the fast lane of life. Some people carry a sack of potatoes called fear or despair for years and years after they finish treatment or after the bad thing that happened to them occurred. Again, I know too well about this. And through guests on this podcast who have walked in your shoes, hopefully you will learn how to lay it down forever. That is the beauty of humankind. When we have survived an ordeal, we can take the hand of someone who was just diagnosed and say, I am going to walk you through this scary forest. And those four really important words, you are not alone. That's love. That is service to all of mankind. And that is grace. I think about it 
the day in my house when the telephone call came to tell her you have cancer when she was four months pregnant with our first child. But when you allow people to help you, your chances of success increase in my experience. Again, thanks to the message uh, in my book, I've spoken to people all over the states and in two foreign countries. And in trying to make those speeches enjoyable, I've done a little research. And I came up with this Greek philosopher. Uh, I wish I could tell you that I remembered him from my high school or college studies, but I would be lying and I don't want to do that. His name is Epictetus. And he said this, be careful to leave yourself well instructed rather than rich, for the hopes of the instructed are better than the wealth of the ignorant. Through this podcast, uh, I hope you will be instructed from guests on this show and from people way smarter than me. It was only after cancer treatments that I learned that there were many resources that could have been available to us had I only looked, or again, had somebody told me. So I intend to bring guests on the show to talk about these resources that are available and how to find them. Organizations that can help you in many ways and ways that I think are gonna surprise you. In fact, there are organizations that might even help you out financially and emotionally. I didn't know that, and in my travels, in talking to, uh, again, cancer groups, I found out that those resources are available. And we're not gonna shy away from difficult subjects, such as the terrible trauma of sexual assault. We're not gonna shy away from topics like paralysis, something that I'm familiar with. I was paralyzed for one year as a result of a drunk driver accident, and you'll learn a little bit more about that. You know, that trauma, we all get it, and it keeps us from enjoying life if we let it. My life's major traumas fall into three categories. First, being a caregiver to two loved ones with cancer. First, as a teenager, like I told you, not only with my mom's uh, tumors, but with her rheumatoid arthritis. But second, I told you about my wife of two and a half years who was diagnosed with cancer. Then I had a devastating automobile accident with a drunk driver in 2008. Uh, eight painful and sometimes excruciating surgeries, two and a half years of jaw and dental reconstruction, eight and a half years of rehabilitation, one year of partial paralysis, and to top it off, a heart attack from one of the medicines they gave me. And I had very little hope uh, from the partial paralysis. I had no use of my left arm after the second of four neck operations. Uh, I even had three neck operations in three years because they kept failing. Um, not because of a, the talented neurosurgeon, he was terrific. It was because of something going on with my body. My body wouldn't stop regrowing the bone that he was carving out. And so I, I woke up with paralysis. 
And I can't tell you what that did to me, uh, what it did to me emotionally. The things we take for granted in life. I couldn't button a shirt. Try buttoning, buttoning a shirt with, with one hand. You can't do it. And then my fourth and final neck operation was extremely drastic. The doctor kept carving bone away from the nerves, but my body didn't know when to stop regrowing the bone. And my neurosurgeon's one of the best in the country, Bill Tobler of the Mayfield Neurological Clinic in Cincinnati. And anybody who would ever meet him or knows him uh, knows that he is a tremendous doctor, in some part because he doesn't have a big ego. And when he saw my problem, he wanted second opinion. So he sent me up to uh, the head of neurosurgery at the Mayo Clinic. That doctor, after the three failed neck operations, uh, concurred with Dr. Tobler that I had to have my neck entirely fused from C2 all the way to C7. They had to take out all of the discs and hold my neck together with titanium and screws which is the reason why I light up the machine every time I go to the airport and have to endure day in and day out. Uh, do you have any jewelry under your shirt? No, no, I don't. I don't. I promise. Um, but you know what? I got my arm to move. And even though they didn't think it would move, it did. And what caused it to move? Well, I found two people in my life, well, more than two, but two really important people in my life that wouldn't take that diagnosis. They simply said, that's not going to be you anymore. Uh, we're going to get this arm to move. And that was my two incredible physical therapists. I also had a lot of people praying for me. And... That helped. And I had other people helping me, like my kids. They lifted me up in an amazing way. You know, we're not created to be alone. We're not built and wired to be alone. To shut people out when we're hurting physically and emotionally is precisely the wrong thing to do. The first go-around, when I was younger, I thought I could handle it all by myself. I was convinced of it. I was a New York City, former union truck driver, former fireman, tough guy, that I can handle my business. That's the way I was taught. My father taught me, listen, nobody's interested in your whining or your problems. But the second time, when I couldn't move my arm, I realized I needed help. And I also realized uh, through a friend of mine, a great psychologist, that a real man asks for help. A real man asks for help. We're going to try to get that into the heads of men uh, throughout this podcast, I hope, so that you don't shut people out when you're hurting physically and emotionally. That is precisely the wrong thing to do. So, I talk about that in the book, and we're going to be talking about that in this podcast. 
What else are we going to be talking about? Well, we're going to be talking about some things that might make you uncomfortable. Certain things that I didn't believe in years ago. Uh, and in fact, I would probably scrunch up my face when people would tell me things like yoga or meditation and psychological therapy. Uh, I would raise my eyes, scrunch my face, and think that those things were, I don't know what I thought, goofy, uh, out there, uh, very Californian. Uh, and then as I grew older and as I suffered, I realized just how much uh, yoga and meditation help people with diseases, help them with trauma, uh, how psychologists uh, can take that sack of potatoes that you're carrying around and help you drop it and teach you how. That's the key, to teach you how. Because you may think you're strong, uh, you may think that you can handle things, but let's face it, when you get hit with a disease, when you get hit with a rough diagnosis, that's not a deal that you can handle alone. And I, and I hope over time you'll trust me to know that because I walked down that road and it was a dead end. You know, women are much better at this, discussing their feelings. I was on a flight from San Diego to Cincinnati and I think I found out every single solitary, fascinating thing about this particular woman uh, because I forgot my Bose headsets. I knew about everything good about her husband and everything bad about her husband. I knew about her fears. I knew about her concern for her second child. It's amazing. It absolutely is amazing. Men, we, you know, we, we don't do that. Um, I have attorney-client privilege with my clients. Whatever a client tells me, I cannot disclose. I think women's nails techs, those, those people that fix the, the women's nails, they should have that same type of protection. But men, you know, we feel weak when we discuss our problems. I say get over it. I will get back to our high school reading. Instead of thinking that talking to a therapist is a scarlet letter, think of it as a red badge of courage. So, we're going to talk about how to cope with disease or trauma, how to seek help, where to get help. We're going to have great guests on this show. And again, I want to be able to thank the people who have made this possible through contributions to the Phyllis Foundation. If you would like to be one of those contributors, the Phyllis Foundation is at P.O. Box 560, Union, Kentucky, 41091. And my Surviving Cancer After Surviving Cancer book is still selling on Amazon. You can find it there. The podcast website is thrivingaftersurviving.com. And if you would like to contact me, you can do it through uh, that podcast uh, website. And... If you'd like me to speak at your organization, that would be great too. And uh, send me an email. Tell me what kind of topics you would like us to discuss. 
uh, I would love to hear from you. And we're going to try to lift up people from all over the country. Thank you for listening.